This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the EDH Breakcast. My name is Joey Schultz and I am joined, as always, by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, the guy who doesn't know whether it's more fun to climb a mountain or to tap it for mana, it's Matt Morgan. Joey, when you boil a funny bone, it then becomes a laughing stock. Yes, indeed it does, Matt. Well dad joked, very, very well dad joked. Next up, the fellow whose mana bases are anything but plain and contain everything but planes, that's Dana Roach. I got my secret layers in today. I'm holding this up to the camera, even though you guys can't see them. They sent me mats. I have uh, two Selesnia Planeswalkers, so that was (laughs) a mistake on Watsi's end. That'll be sent to you, Matt, sometime this week. Perfect. Mr. Selesnia all the way. Anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is a deck building website that collects data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, we like to give all that data a little more context. Y'all, it is episode 100, which means we've got something special in store. We are delighted, honored, we are ecstatic to bring you our prestigious guest. His name is not Asperia, but he is still a supreme judge. His name is not Zedru, but he is still great-hearted. His name is not Rishkar, but there can be no doubting his expertise. We are joined by Sheldon Menery. Hey, fellas. How you doing tonight? Very, very well, Sheldon. We're so excited. Uh, I'm, I also can't hide it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, welcome, Sheldon. It's it's an honor. It's it, We're very excited to have you on. It's, it's yeah, it's so it's a big deal for us. Oh, You're you, a guys, big deal. you guys are doing good work, so. Thank you. What, it, it means a whole lot coming from the father of the format, Mr. I Created EDH. This is uh, pretty awesome. And it, the only thing that tops us really was getting to meet you at the Command Fest in Seattle, where you proceeded to wreck me a couple of times in the games that we played, um, which I'm not salty about, I promise. <laughs> well, you know, you'll have to just come back and make me do it to myself next time. 
this this does make me wonder are you going to be attending any events this upcoming year so that you know maybe we can get a rematch in or other listeners might be able to uh come and find you and maybe get some games and are there any other um events magic fests that you might be attending in the upcoming year as a matter of fact i will be um if you want to keep abreast of what i'm doing uh throughout the course of the year you can go to the official commander's uh, website that's mtgcommander.net and each of us on the rc has a personal page and we basically use it for whatever the hell we want to use it for. And what I, the one thing that I do is uh, post links to my most recent content and then have a, an appearance schedule. So uh, later this week, I will be in Reno, Nevada uh, at Magic Fest Reno. Um, that's, you know, uh, Commander Advisory Group member and Five Tool Threat Olivia Gobert Hicks lives there. So she's like, Let's go to Reno and have a party. You know, everybody come to Reno and let's have a party. So I'll be there. Uh, I will be at Magic Fest Palm Beach here in Florida. Uh, I believe that's 10, 12 April. Um, and I will certainly be at SCG Con summer in June. Uh, other than that, uh, probably be at Gen Con. Uh, so we'll see. And I'm sure that uh, one or two other exciting events will pop up on the schedule. Awesome stuff. You mentioned your articles there. Uh, where can folks find your content and what is it that you tend to write about? Uh, you can... F <laughs> uh, I just write about things. Um, uh, this it, format called Commander. No, maybe nothing controversial it. ever. Uh, I write some personal poetry and it's about a boy <laughs> just like me who's a little taller, maybe. Um, you can find me uh, uh, at Twitter... Uh, on Twitter, it's Sheldon Mennery, Facebook, Sheldon Mennery, and of course, you can find me every Thursday on Star City Games, and I really, this was an unintentional t-shirt for the for the broadcast. I just said, um, right before we started recording, I took my sweatshirt off because it was a little warm, not that this uh, Angel's Envy old-fashioned had anything to do with that. <laughs> um, I like um, your style. I like your style. Old fashions are always old -fashioned. very current. They're very old-fashioned. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just popped my popped my sweatshirt off because it was a little warm. It's like, oh, well, I have a Star City sweatshirt on, a t-shirt on. So <laughs> funny how things work out. Indeed. Uh, and then there's one other thing that we also always love to ask uh, any guest who comes onto the show. We want to know which commanders you most enjoy playing. When you sit down to play EDH, who are you, you know, who's leading your deck? Well, I have 52. Goodness. Uh, um, so I think the one I keep going back to is Carador. Uh, I have three different Carador decks, so it seems like that's a, I really like Dirdly kind of a graveyard recursion and sit around and do stuff. If there's a win in the game later, that's fine. Uh, but of course there's, there's certainly the, I think the most infamous deck I have now is the Ruhan, you did this to yourself. Uh, oh yeah so oh that that was splendid so i got the good fortune to play against that one at the command fest in seattle um and we were not prepared for all of that because people would attack you and then you were like deflecting palm and someone <laughs> attacking you like boros fury shield and we're just like is that all that the deck is made up of and you pulled out the deck box slammed it in front of us and on the side of it it says you did this to yourself it's like embossed <laughs> on the side of the deck box we're like we just don't pay attention we should have been completely prepared that's not the only 
power move that you pulled on us in, in that series of games, though, because you also dropped a Protean Hulk on the table and then just deadpanned the rest of the table to be like, yeah, this used to be banned, <laughs> but it's in my deck now. And what? Well, I mean, well, the thing is, quite honestly, I'm I'm a Protean Hulk for value person. Like, oh, I'll go get Duplicant, I think, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, th- <laughs> you think. Yeah. You think. I guess. I mean, you can't get Revelark and Safi, so... I, I suppose, but like, oh man, it was it was pretty pretty hilarious. Well, before we ask any more questions of you, Sheldon, we have another fun announcement that we have to get to because as part of reaching episode 100, as part of getting to this um, amazing milestone, we are doing an episode 100 giveaway that folks have been able to enter by following us on Twitter, on Facebook, by subscribing on YouTube, and or by leaving us a review on their podcatcher of choice, such as Podbay or iTunes and things like that. And since this is episode 100, we are now ready to announce the three lucky winners of this giveaway. And as a reminder, the the winners are going to be able to get either an EDHREC shirt or an EDHREC cast playmat, and then they can get in touch with us to tell us which new commander they will be building, because we will be putting together a package of cards according to that commander's EDHREC page, their top and high synergy cards and things like that, and sending a package to jumpstart that person's upcoming deck to get that whole deck underway. So we've got our three winners. Matt, who is our first winner of the episode 100 giveaway? So our first winner courtesy of leaving us a lovely iTunes review is Jenny the Fur. So if your iTunes username is Jenny the Fur, you're our first winner. Congrats. And Dana, who is our next? Our second winner is Louis Vargas, who you can find on Twitter at Sancho Curse, also on YouTube and left us a nice review. So congratulations, Louis. And our final winner goes by Thomas B. Rex Bloss. That's at Brexosaurus93 on Twitter. So, folks, please get in touch with us either on Twitter at EDHRECcast or email us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com so that we can get all of these awesome prizes to you to get your decks jump started. And you can get an either EDHREC shirt or an EDHRECcast playmat. This is really exciting. Thank you all so much for helping us reach episode 100 and for following us, listening to our content. We appreciate everything that you have done for us. We're so excited that with your help, we were able to reach this milestone. And now, I guess, Sheldon, we're going to turn back to you because we've got a bunch of questions that we really want to ask you. Specifically, we want to know, does the Rules Committee utilize our website, EDH Rec? And if so, how? Well, I can't really speak for everybody else. Except how I, about you, then? Except, <laughs> ex- except that I can, because I usually do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 can, I can speak specifically about how I use it. and. Uh, I'll say that I used it most when I was uh, designing magic cards uh, during my time at Wizards of the Coast. Mm. Uh, it was it, it was an invaluable tool not to... I mean, I know what the popular cards are already, but it was an invaluable tool for me to find lesser play cards or find sort of where in the biosphere that uh, lesser played cards exist. So, um, I think what I used it most, what, like when I was, uh, you know, like building, building decks for products that had new, new, uh, product in them as well as existing product was always, all right, I want to do this thing. What is the, uh, you know, what, what are most of the people doing with this style or, you know, this, this theme? So how do I avoid doing the same thing? 
that was that was my my biggest uh, the, my my biggest and best use I think uh, is really to not do what everybody else is doing. And that's actually kind of funny that you mentioned that because that tends to be kind of the same thing that Dana, I know that you approach your decks as well. You tend to want yours to be a little bit more unique than what folks are typically doing. And actually, Don Miner, who created EDH Rec, he approaches his decks in very much the same way. He really enjoys playing off the wall strategies for a long time. For example, he had a mono black Olero Aegis Ascetic deck who was just gaining him life in the command zone with its eminence ability, but he didn't actually play the Esper commander as an Esper deck. So it was actually useful for him to see what things were popular so that he could go a little bit more off the wall. It's funny that you would use it in a similar fashion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I really, I, I like that functionality. So then I guess I'm also kind of curious, are there any features that EDHREC doesn't have at the current moment that might have made that job a little easier for you? Is there anything that we don't have already that you would like to see on the website? Well, uh, you and I have already talked about that. Oh, yeah, uh, but other people weren't there for that. And I think <laughs> they would love to know. <laughs> well, I didn't want to spoil anything that you were ready to roll out. <laughs> it's like, oh, you weren't supposed to mention that. Um, <laughs> no, no, nothing like that. Yeah, um, so uh, for... For um, folks who don't know, I have a, yeah, I, I do have a relatively large uh, suite of decks, as we mentioned. Um, I don't necessarily have the time to uh, to do all the work to keep them current uh, electronically as I want. So a friend of mine has agreed to help me, and then when we were uh, when we were together um, in Seattle, uh, you know, Joe and I talked a little bit about functionality. And one of the things is, is like, I just want to know in what decks I'm playing what cards and or in how many decks I'm playing what cards, um, hmm. you know, so because I don't want to I don't want to keep going to the same well again. It kind of goes back to the last point. Right. I don't want to keep going back to putting puppeteer click in, in every black deck that I'm that I'm in um, or if I'm looking for a card. I want it to be easy to find what deck I'm playing the card in. And sure, if you have four decks, it's pretty easy. When you have 50 plus and growing, um, no, I don't have a problem. Shut up. You have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, you know, it, it becomes a function of just finding, finding the cards that you have, where you have them. Um, and I wouldn't mind even find, um, like there being a, a checkbox or something for uh, language treatment, you know, is it full art? Is it foil? Is it um, a promo card or whatever? So yeah, just finding the cards. Cause I don't really have a collection management tool of any kind. So managing my decks is what I need to do. So basically using EDH rec to parse almost like a user's decks, as opposed to just the decks as a whole. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Very interesting. And that can help you keep each of those decks distinct from one another, which is another thing that we've heard from a lot of the guests that we've had on recently, actually, um, that we, you know, we don't want to have this one particular necromancy deck. And then the next deck is also built on necromancy. I know that's a problem that I personally have not been able to abstain from, <laughs> um, but yeah. it does seem to be that like most people it's don't hard. want two commanders that have the exact same graveyard strategy or the exact same landfall strategy and stuff like that. So that, that does make sense. I, I am incurable with that curse, but it, I can see that other people definitely would want it. Yeah. Big shout out to my friend, Anthony, by the way, for who's, who's putting in some hours, uh, getting all my decks in. And I know you guys have been really, really helpful. 
um, helping him. So thanks a million. I know it's going to make my life way easier. And I'm all about my life being easy. <laughs> Hang on. Nice. Time out. Here's my <laughs> life being easy. Mm. Okay. <laughs> so speaking of easy and maybe making the format too easy, have you and, and the rules committee and, and the CAG, do you guys ever worry about deck building tools like EDH rec kind of leading to homogeneity among the format? Um, no, I think in general that uh, technology and tools don't um, make things happen. They reflect what people want to happen. Um, I, I don't think that Betamax created porn for example. Wow. Um, <laughs> Was not prepared for that example. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, 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 you know, well, it's technology. It, it's, it's, it's technology. Technology leverages um, the desires of the people who use it. It doesn't, I don't think it really creates the desires. Now, it might, it might tip those desires in a certain direction, but I, I, I don't think it's, it's actually the cause of too much. Um, we were, you know, human beings were killing each other with sticks and rocks before AK-47s were ever invented. So I think that I, I think that I'm not worried about the tools being the problem. This doesn't seem like an observer effect type of deal. These are the types of decks that people would be playing, the types of commanders that they would be drawn to, regardless of whether there was a website that was measuring. Yeah, what exactly. Were actually... Exactly. That I makes mean, sense. There's certainly some part of quantum uh, mechanics tells us, you know, we can't observe a thing without changing a thing, but I don't think that the the shift is particularly tectonic. I mean, like, I, I remember back in high school going to, like, a totally going to age myself here, going to, like, a used CD store and, like, spending... Wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, and spending just hours, like, pawing through CDs and listening to them to, to find, like, some random obscure B-side or some, you know, band no one had heard of, and then being angry for some inexplicable reason when six months later that thing became popular or famous um, which is ridiculous on 20 different levels sure but i think there's an element of that to a degree with things like edh rec where like people do get annoyed that once upon a time they did all this work to find this card and now someone can just find it because the information is there and that's an insane way to look at things it's just an aggregate of information and because it's easier to do now and the tools exist doesn't make it necessarily bad. Right. I mean, there, yes, there are, there uh, tools and technology facilitate things. They, I, I, I really don't think at the base level um, that they don't really actually make things happen that weren't going to happen anyway. They might make them happen a lot faster, but I don't think that they're, they're the cause of anything. Um, and the idea of getting angry at somebody for neck decking is just silly. Yeah, I mean, neck decking's been happening in all formats. I mean, since the internet you know, started influencing deck building. So yeah, I, I, I get that sentiment a lot too. So what to your mind then is a thing that actually could harm or kill Commander? What do you think the format's biggest enemy is from a sustainability perspective? the the real the real answer and i want to make sure that there are certain people in the community that don't think i'm targeting them the the thing that would destroy commander is making it a competitive format 
the the fact that we can still be this format that is an intentional break from all other formats is is this thing that is going to be itself on its own terms is what's given rise to its popularity its sustainability and its appeal and um i think if we were to turn it into a into a competitive format it would die really fast and you mean in terms of like tournament structures yeah, and yeah, yeah things yeah. like that right yeah. that's yeah i don't again i don't want uh our friends in the cdh community to think i'm talking about them because i'm not i'm talking about putting it in an active and um sculpting the ban list to uh you know to to care to to tournament play uh that's what i'm that's what i'm saying here and i i think that would be the worst thing that we would ever do for the format right since it was originally designed specifically to give you guys a break from all of the high level play exactly. and, and and my entire family actually plays like my brothers my stepdad my mom we all play just you know a family gathering and the fact that it isn't like a high stakes you know we've all got to beat each other is actually what makes it so much fun to engage in just at like a casual dinner or something like that and then we play to see who has to do the dishes <laughs> and you know sometimes there have been people who say well you don't know anything about competitive magic and <laughs> okay. now, you're, you're, what Those level are... judge are you again <laughs> uh the number doesn't exist anymore <laughs> yeah that that is always one of my favorite tweets that you get to respond to is when people say, "If only Sheldon understood competitive magic," right. and well, I just and get a hearty chuckle. It's not just me. I, you know, I think I got salty with somebody once because it was like the tenth show in a row that somebody during the Q and A or whatever had 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 made that comment, and I think Toby was on the stage with me, and I kind of snapped back at the person. Not saying that snapping is the right thing to do, but I kind of snarled at the person and said, okay, I tell you what, you find four people that know more about competitive magic than me, Toby Elliott, Scott Larrabee, and Gavin Duggan, and bring them, and then we'll make them the rules committee. Woof. Ouch. <laughs> it's true, though. It, it really is true. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's 17 levels of judges. <laughs> um... Uh, you know, the guy that's been the, the Pro Tour tournament manager for most of two decades, uh, a net rep, I, the, you know, Toby Rice, the <laughs> tournament rules, I'm like, I might be like the third or fourth most um, experienced competitive magic person on the, the rules committee. I, I, I like a statement that I came up with, and it's a little hyperbolic, but if there's a person who's not a judge anymore that could go to Wizards and say, I would like to maybe judge this Pro Tour, Sheldon is maybe one of three people that could pull that off that wizards would actually let that happen. So yeah, I, well, I'm now I'm now I'm, you shouldn't have said that. Cause now I'm thinking who the other two are. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, kind of as a subcategory to that, because the, the, the competitive players tend to do a pretty good job nowadays of sticking to playing with competitive players because that's mm -hmm. what they want is that competitive. They yeah. want to play that kind of game. Um, what are your thoughts on those? kind of sub CEDH level decks and or commanders because we've had an influx kind of recently of things like Tulane or Corvald that feel like they are just head and shoulders better than everything else even if you're not trying to make them broken 
And I've noticed recently we've had these commanders where it feels like if you're not playing one of those commanders and you're playing against it, you're really far behind. How, how risky do you think that is to the format? Um, a little, maybe. But I, I had this thought before I ever went and designed Magic cards that game designers of all kinds, and in Magic in particular, need to push the envelope all the time. Um, you can't sit back. If if Brian Weissman's The Deck were still the best deck in Magic, we wouldn't be sitting here. You know, mm. there would be no Commander, there'd be no um, Magic Fest, there'd be no Command Fest. The game would be done by now. Um, and the natural evolution of things is that that um, power creep is going to happen. Uh, and I actually think that over the years, they've done a pretty good job of lateral um, uh, advancement. Uh, yes, we're going to eventually have creatures that are better than Urnum Jin, right? Yeah, I mean, you, <laughs> I think you knew that in 1996. Um, but you, you, can't, you can't have stasis and have a good game, especially one that... that um, goes over um, 20 years or so with move, with you know with multiple moving parts um, you know somebody might go well chess has been the same for 5,000 years or whatever sure but it's also a finite game not I mean it's it's yeah it's also a finite game not an infinite game and magic is an infinite game so I think that we're gonna we're gonna continue to push the envelope and I think it's okay for designers to push the envelope. Uh, I actually want them to. And then I want them to be aware when they make a mistake. Uh, you know, I, there's nobody that I worked with uh, last year that wouldn't be willing to admit that Prosh might have been a mistake. Um, not messing with the command zone was a mistake, but just the instantiation of Prosh or Leovold or, you know, any number of cards. And when, you know, when a commander starts warping the format or create a, a circumstance or create the kind of games that we don't want it to create, we'll ban it. Pretty simple solution awesome. there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we don't want people to not play with cool cards, but I don't think that anybody who likes other people can argue that Leibold is a cool card. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, you were getting called I, out directly. I, I, I had a Leovold Voltron deck. I played all the uh, Lorwyn. If this card is blue, it gets this. If it's black, it gets that type of auras. Mm -hmm. That was fun, but I played it for like three games. I'm like, this still is like, it, it's accidentally too good. So I I get it. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I built a Leovold deck. And, you know, some people think that, well, you know, when you lose to a card, you want to ban it. No, it's more like when I win with a card, I'd rather, I want to ban it. Uh, and I, yes. I built it. I built Leovold and... It wasn't even great, and the first time, I, like the first time I was to fairy puzzle box, I'm like, oh my god, I don't ever want to do this again. <laughs> you, yeah, I, I, I needed a shower after that <laughs> happened. So I, yeah, it was ac just accidentally way too powerful. Yeah, I, I was in the back of my head. I'm like, Sheldon built Leovold. I can't believe him. And then I'm like, wait, no, it would kind of be his job to yeah. do that. Actually, that makes total sense. So Sheldon, I gotta say, I have a I have a bone to pick with you because I understand that one of the missions of the rules committee is looking for ways to eliminate the use of off-color fetch lands in certain decks. For example, if you're playing a white-green deck, you wouldn't be able to play, you Wooded know, like hills. 
a wooded foothills precisely because it looks kind of red even though it doesn't specifically have red in the color identity of that card mm -hmm. what i want to know is why do you hate me personally because i play titania who loves fetch lands in all of their many fashions why are you trying to do this to me what have i done to incite this vendetta from you this is so personally very very worrisome the simple answer is that it's just it seems like a flavor fail to me um yes it's not uh in the color identity but um it's just it you know it it's one of those things that's not illegal but you don't i wouldn't want to do like there's no law that says you can't butt up in line at the bank you just don't do it it's you know it's it's polite society so you don't butt up in line um and just it if we could write if we could write a a clean uh, rule that let you not play Wooded Foothills in your Selesnya deck, but still let you play Riverboa, then we'd write it. Uh, very good minds have wrapped themselves up on trying to make this. That's not a million words long. You know, a clean, crisp rule. Um, and it's just, you know, it's not happening. So I'd rather it not happen, but not to take enough effort to make it illegal it, it also just kind of it, it's always stuck out to me as one of those things that i'm personally fine with the aesthetics of it especially because it's not like the most egregious um right. i don't know i think of for example like the extort mechanic which does have a hybrid symbol but it's in the reminder text therefore it doesn't count as being part of the color identity so you can play cryptgast in a mono black deck Correct. even though there's technically a white symbol on it but there's not within the color identity and i'm like oh that looks kind of weird but nothing looks nearly as crazy to me as playing urborg tomb of yogmoth in a non-black in deck. a non-black deck i agree Which with you wholeheartedly you're totally able to do yep and i will make merciless uh sport of somebody who does it but <laughs> i'm not gonna stop them well sheldon while we've got you here we hope that you wouldn't mind joining us for one of our favorite segments here on the podcast and that is challenging the stats there's so much data here on ediatrek but we don't always agree with it sometimes we think the cards are seeing too much play Sometimes we think that they're seeing too little play. So that's why we like challenging those stats here. Do you have a challenge to stats pick for us? A card that is maybe overplayed or an underplayed card that you would like to tell us about at this time? I do, as a matter of fact, being played in literally no decks. Well, statistically no decks. And it's in 33, the last I checked, like minutes before the show started, um, I checked. It was in 33 decks. That card is equal treatment. Uh, it's a uh, one and a white instant that says uh, if a source would deal damage this turn, uh, one or more damage this turn, it deals two instead and uh, draw a card. And nobody's playing it, and this is one of the best cards in Commander. What a bizarre... So everything is just going to deal two damage. If I'm attacking with a 5-5, five, five, a 4-4, four, four, an 8-8, eight, eight, they all just deal two, two, two instead. Correct. But if you're using a Pyrohemia or a Pestilence... And, oh. Draw, and oh, you draw a card. Yeah, that's the point I was going to wrap around to. I've actually, most of the time, you you know, you protect yourself with this card, right? I've actually killed somebody with this card. Uh, they were 12, and I battled them with six one ones, and they were like, uh, okay? <laughs> like, equal treatment kill you? Oh, Dang. Oh, and I, oh, and I draw a card? <laughs> 
what a weird piece of tech. Equal treatment. You know, that's a good message, too. That's a good it's message. A, that's exactly the words that I use. That's, it's a good message, too. That you use to kill people. Awesome. So yeah. Sheldon, he destroys people by treating them all equally. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> what a fascinating one. Matt, what's your pick? So this week, I have one. Speaking of color identities, this isn't... It's not illegal, but it's just a very, very bad card. And actually... It's actually one of the most powerful cards of 2019. It is Arcane Signet. So I found a deck, or actually a category of decks, you should not play it in at all. What? I know it's a bold statement. Yeah, what's that? You should not play Arcane Signet in Traxos Scourge of Krug decks. And you know why? Traxos Uh... is colorless. And Arcane Signet reads, you can tap it to add one mana of any color in your commander's color identity. (laughs) Since Arcane Signet... Has you know, you have to have a color identity. Traxos doesn't, and currently seven percent of Traxos Scourge of Krug decks are playing Arcane Signet, which means seven percent of people are playing a two mana rock that doesn't actually tap for mana. Yeah, because it has to tap for a color it of has mana. Has to tap for a color. Cannot tap for colorless. Well, the question the question there is how many of those seven percent thinks that it can tap for colorless mana? That's a good question. I'm not sure, but. I'd be really interested it, to, to hear an answer. It, it seems like a poor choice to use just for like untapping the Traxos since it technically counts as a historic spell. So I'm, 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 I'm totally with you here, Matt. This is a, yeah, that's not going to be the mana rock that you were looking for. Oh yeah. I, I never thought it would happen, but we, we found a category of decks where Arcane Signet <laughs> yeah. actually is bad. And, and who would have thought that would have ever happened? But yeah, if you're playing a colorless deck in general, do not play Arcane Signet, guys. It's it's not what you think it does. Uh, my pick is also a colorless card, but I'm looking at it within the context of a mono red deck. I'm looking at Perforos Bronze Blooded. I recently wrote an article about this commander, and it was frankly so, so, so much fun. Perforos, of course, is the new Theros Beyond Death commander that sort of sneak attacks creatures into play, gives them haste, they sacrifice at the end of the turn. And there's a land that can kind of keep those creatures around that I think people would be really well served to utilize. That is the card Endless Sands. This is a desert that taps for a colorless mana or you can pay two and tap and exile target creature you control. So instead of sacrificing that creature at the end of the turn, Perforos can actually use this land to exile it. And then Endless Sands has another really spicy ability for this. That is four mana tap, sacrifice the Endless Sands to return each creature card exiled with Endless Sands to the battlefield under its owner's control. So you can actually use this to bank a couple of the creatures that Perforos has been sneak attacking into play and then bam, put them all onto the field a little bit later only showing up in 27% of the 180 decks that Perforos has so far, and I think it should be in all of them because this is a really great way to get around that sacrificial downside. And you know you're, you know you're playing uh, creatures with good ETB abil- abilities yeah. too mm-hmm. if you're sneak attacking, so makes perfect sense. There's also a similar one from back in the dark called Safe Haven that works very similarly to, uh-huh. to, um, to that land, so that probably also would be something you want to consider in that deck. Wasn't yeah. Safe Haven reprinted in um, Time Spiral? I think, spiral? yeah, I, I think yeah. so. And yeah, Chronicles, I, I, I want to say as well. I think I have a foil one, so it had to be Time Spiral. All right, Dana, what's your pick? Um, Joel, you're going to be shocked at this, but I went with a really old, obscure card. Uh, uh, completely unlike you. I'm, uh, no, although although not nearly as obscure as Sheldon's. Uh, that's also going to be true, yeah. <laughs> um, the card is Primal Order. It's oh, a yeah. green enchantment that was first in Homelands, one of the greatest sets of all time. Um, 
two green green. During each player's upkeep, Primal Order deals damage to that player equal to the number of non-basic lands that player controls. Why, so, that'll never kill anybody in Commander at all. Right. As, especially in, in green, or particularly in mono green, where it's probably not going to hurt you very much, if at all. And those kind of decks tend to have to win in the combat step, but sometimes you find yourself unable to do so, whether it's because somebody has you know repeated fogs or, or whatever. It gives you a way in a mono green deck to actually kill people without having to rely on the, on the, on the actual combat damage step. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm a little salty at you now, Dana, because I was sort of banking this particular card for a pick in a future episode. Oh, were you really? <laughs> because I recently played against a buddy of mine who has a mono green deck, and we uh, were in a really excellent game against a Grixis player who was on a control uh, deck. I think it was Wizard Tribal. Um, and they were just preventing counterspelling, you know, bouncing creatures and all that type of stuff. But then this Primal Order came down from the mono green deck and slowly whittled the Grixis player away, who doesn't really have much in the way of enchantment removal. And they're like, what can I do? What do I do? And they eventually tried to get rid of it. And then Eternal Witness brought the Primal Order back and is just like, we may not be able to attack you with all of our creatures, but Primal Order will absolutely deal five to you, deal five to you, deal five to you. And now you're dead. Very excellent card, especially when you have plenty of basics and everyone else is playing plenty of non-basics. I, I, keep, I keep telling you guys, play more basics. And you ignore <laughs> you do. And it actually works right away, too. It's what's nice about it. It isn't like one of those things where during your upkeep, it hits everybody. So you have to wait a full turn. It starts hitting people immediately after you pass. So that's actually really nice, too. I, I dig this. I, this is... I'm going to put this in Omnath, probably. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Sheldon, I kind of want to ask just a bunch of questions to you, but I have to limit myself to one at a time. And this particular one, I think I know the answer, but I want to ask you what you personally think is the most important aspect or rule in Commander. Have a good time all the time. Oh, all right. I was sort of expecting you to say something along the lines of Rule Zero, but then again, I guess that is we're, Rule Zero, isn't it? We're, we're going to talk about Rule Zero anyway, so I figured I'd throw something else in. <laughs> Fair. So, well, since we're going to talk about Rule Zero, then let's just jump into it. Do you have any tips for somebody coming up? How do you approach Rule Zero conversations, you know, among strangers especially? Uh, I think, you know, people talk about power level, and I, that that's only one axis that I think a deck has. And I think more important is uh, tempo. More important is timing. It's not, you know, does your deck do powerful things? It's when does your deck do powerful things? And, uh, you know, I, I think there's a, some misinterpretation about, well, it doesn't do anything that powerful, uh, you know, but, you know, it can turn, kill you by turn six. That becomes a different conversation than it does this incredibly broken thing, but it's in, you know, double digit turns. I, more, I think more people would rather have the longer game than have the shorter game. So it's a, it's a conversation that, I think you have to go uh, in two directions on. Uh, but to me, the more significant one is when is when a deck does something, not uh, what it does. Yeah, and I really agree with that as well. I think the speed makes a a fantastic difference because I, I have plenty of decks that, you know, if you were to just go through the deck list in the abstract, you're like, well, there's a Yagmas Will in here. Clearly, that's a crazy strong deck. But in that particular deck, it's basically a black regrowth. I mean, I'm not... I don't have the ability to do Yogg's win kind of stuff with it. So it's it's a little bit deceptive based on the, the cards in the deck, especially because there's no way that deck can win prior to, you know, turn 10 
even in a kind of God hand scenario. Mm-hmm. I yeah, I really believe that once you get into double digit turns, whatever happens is fine. But you just, you know you don't want turn thirteen things happening on turn three. Mm-hmm. Or at least you don't want to do that without communicating that in advance. It, yeah. Yes. Yeah. If everybody's on the same page, whatever. Uh, if if you're not the 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 turn three person is going to be the one that's sort of violating the the assumed um, agreement of the game. We did just have an announcement today, like you had mentioned, uh, you know, it's not just about power level, but an announcement did just come up from Channel Fireball today about a power scale that will be tested in an upcoming uh, command zone for Magic Fest in Reno, mm-hmm. um, where they put out a scale, um, you know, scale of one to 10, how do you rate your deck? So one to two, for example, is just for the fun of it. You know, you're more interested in a theme than efficiency and victory. You're looking for everyone at the table to have fun, whereas three to four is casual, sort of along the lines of recent pre-cons. Then they have something like five to six being focused, seven to eight being optimized with lots of infinite or game-ending combos, things like that. I'm just reading directly off of the announcement there. What is your take on this particular scale? It's a good start. It's it's. I think it's a really good start, and... You know, getting getting it right the first time, like p- putting the perfect scale out there on the first try, isn't as important as having the conversation in the abstract. So the fact that they've started trying to have the conversation, I think, is exactly the right place to go. Um, and then we'll try it out. I, again, I'll be there at Magic Fest Reno. Uh, all my decks are fives or sixes. Um, let's you know, let's find out where we are and. Then we'll we'll nudge we'll nudge and we'll we'll you know continue to course correct and eventually we'll you know we'll maybe we'll get to something that we can all agree is a really good thing to work with. For the purposes of this scale, if folks play against you, where do you expect most of yours will will fall along this particular metric? Like five and a half. Five they're, and a half. Yeah, they're, I mean, I I have very very few infinite combos in any of my decks. Um, I, I would rather, personally, I would rather my brain win the game than my cards. So I want to, I want to play decks that um, have to assess the the, the battlefield and um, make a judgment about um, how I'm going to get through to the end instead of vomit my cards on the table and I win. I love that take. Yeah. I want my brain to win the game more than my cards. That's yep. a. I I just want that like on on a shirt or on my sleeves or something like that. I, that's a really great take. Well, I mean, it's the next EDH rec cash T-shirt. Then. <laughs> are, are there any variants to Rule Zero or exceptions or caveats or like special things you throw out there when you're playing against somebody or people in the rules committee like to do? Um, to, to give an example for me personally, I I do have some decks that are fairly low powered, but also do have dual lands because I have ABUR duels, so I like to throw that out there that sure. this is not a super powerful deck, but I might drop a turn one tropical island that will be scary. So just so you know, just because that land is in here doesn't change the power level. Is that a kind of thing you ever ever do when you're having that conversation? That sounds like something exactly that a person would kill me turn two with a tropical <laughs> island. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, I kind of do the same. I think I have like I have an Aiden Oakenshield deck that that probably has one of each of the dual lands in the Jun colors, <laughs> and I'm like, uh, yeah, it's, this deck is not good at all. But there, there they were. Um, 
I'll tell you what the rules committee does when we play together. It's the and it's the mulligan of uh, my local group when we play together. And it's a, generally the mulligan I suggest when I go to uh, events and play with people. It's called the geese mulligan after um, former level five judge and uh, um, uh, cohort of mine, uh, Heisfert Hogendijk, who's a, a Dutch judge. As a matter of fact, he, Jop Brouwer and I, who all made level five, actually made level three the same day at the same event in Antwerp in 1998. Um, and then we went to went on to rule the world later. But anyway, um, uh, the geese, the geese mulligan is basically draw your opener. If you, <clears throat> if you can't play it, set it aside, draw seven more. And if you get three lands, you got to keep it. So mm -hmm. if you, you know, if you don't have, if you can't play the hand or it doesn't have three lands, you ship it again, you draw seven more. And the, you know, the, the Toby Elliott rider is don't abuse this. So you have to be in a group of people that you trust to not abuse it. And uh, we had used it in a league that I was playing in once. And it came to light that people were building their decks with 27 lands because <laughs> they knew that they'd be start with three. Like, well, that's the, that's kind of going against the spirit of it. But yeah, the geese mulligan is what the, the rules committee does when we're playing together. That sounds a lot like what we do whenever, you know, we sit down and we have the, that rule zero conversation. It's how are we going to mulligan usually comes up in that. And I'm a big advocate of, well, we're not playing for prizes. So just mulligan until you have a decent seven and, mm -hmm. Yeah, like you said, there's there's always going to be somebody that kind of ruins that, but a majority of people like we're not playing for prizes, so they just do it, and we 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 usually get a, a good game out of that. Yeah, I, that's what I want. I want good games. Yeah, I'd rather lose to the occasional person that abuses it than have someone sit there with a you know five lander or excuse me five card hand they had to mull down to, mm -hmm. and then keep yeah. one land because they want to go to four, and then yeah. it's just a miserable game. But if you draw a seven land hand and complain about it. Get right out of here. <laughs> play, play your seven land hand because all you're drawing is gas after that. Yeah, yeah. For for every one person's going to ruin it, there's usually like three people who are fairly new to the format that ends up benefiting more. So yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of of yeah, just get to a playable hand. Let's enjoy ourselves. Yeah, I agree. So, what's something then? Maybe that your attitude has kind of changed about the format from day one to today. A lot of people say, "Oh, Sheldon just likes his games." We know that's not true. So, what's one example of just how you've kind of grown about the format? Hmm. Well, certainly. Um, speaking of Command Fest Seattle, the first morning of the show, I got there at I don't know half an hour before the doors opened, and I went and sat down, and uh, Scott met me, and you know we found a place that you know it was sort of group of tables we were going to play, where it said casual games here or whatever it said. And um, the people started trickling into the hall, and then, uh, you know, we were in the middle of a game, and it was maybe an hour later, you know, it was like 11 o'clock or something, and I stood up just to kind of stretch my legs, and I looked around, and I realized that I, I had kind of a moment, and I realized that, you know, there was a time I would have never thought that there were this many players of the format in the world, let alone all gathered together in this in one room. And, you know, understanding the, the arc of the format, 
has been a big change for me. You know, just seeing the possibility, um, like getting getting an idea that we were no longer the little format that could has been the biggest change for me. Well, since you've been a judge forever as well, what's the weirdest judge call you ever came across? I actually haven't been a judge for seven years. No, so, no, seven years sorry. Okay, so you've been out nine for a while. Year, nine years. I haven't been a judge for nine years. I retired in 2011. Well, even in like everyday commander, what's the weirdest thing you've, you've well, stumbled okay. across? So I, I actually haven't answered your question anyway. Okay. Um, it was 2003 or four or so. So I had written, I had been writing for Star City for a couple of years by then. Um, uh, you know, back then I wrote the Ask the Judge column and then did features on Fridays. And I was on the floor at a pro tour and got a call on, a, I don't remember what the ruling was at this point, but the person I, you know, the, like, uh, you know, here's what, here's the issue. And I said, well, this is the way that it works. And the person said, well, I was reading Star City, and that Sheldon guy said it worked the other way. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah. Did you have to tell them you were that Sheldon guy? Uh, well, I try, you know, I don't ever want to be the do you know who I am person. <laughs> but, you know, uh, you know, at the, I, I don't know if they still do it. Well, we have, they, they have judge name tags now. But back then, we just had, you know, we had badges with the land, you know, on the lanyards. Um, with the Pro Tour stop, but then there was a sticker on them with your name on it. And I tried fingering my badge a little bit to tilt it, and they, but the person wasn't buying. You know, they weren't they weren't seeing what I was trying to do there. And at first I said, um, uh, that, that, that's definitely not the way that it works. He's like, well, that guy, I was like, no, I, I don't. I don't mean to be rude, but I am that guy, so I'm really <laughs> sure that I didn't say it. Like, oh, and we got through. My Jeez. other answer, my other answer to that was way back, even further back. Um, there was a there was a particularly um, tense game state, and both players were really really nervous, and um, player was so nervous that he drew a card off of his opponent's deck. Oh, goodness. And we didn't really have a penalty for that back then. We had to, <laughs> <laughs> we had to figure out what to do. It's like 1997 or something. Oh, man. Um, that's, that, that, that's almost like a Saito level of, oh, well, he cut my deck for me. Like, oh, I just drew a card for him. Yeah. Like, I, oh. And it was, a, it was a limited event, too. It wasn't even, you know, it wasn't even constructed. <laughs> I think, though, like that's sometimes something, especially if we're watching coverage of a tournament or, or something like that, we sometimes forget like how much pressure it can sometimes be when you're like playing against someone, especially when it does have more of the, the tournament level pedigree. Like this is a game where you are making exhausting mental acrobatic tricks all the time to try and min max to find the best amounts of value all over the place. So sometimes, you know, doing that so much, some part of your brain just like stops for half a second and then so like i feel like we all have probably had some type of story like that where yeah, we cut the wrong sure. deck drew the wrong card 
drew three cards when we were only supposed to draw two or something like that. Like there are just moments where our brain breaks and we honestly barely even realize it, but especially if you're even more nervous. So, oh, that makes me feel bad, but at least it's not as bad as someone saying that, you know, that Sheldon guy knows yeah. better than you do. Well, at least, you know, at least he didn't like, you know, call me names at the same time. Uh, so I also, okay, this is another question to which I'm sure I already know the answer. Um, but, you know, you worked at Wizards of the Coast, you were working on upcoming products, and we're, like, so interested to know if there's anything you can tease about upcoming products. And most likely the answer is no, but are you excited about them, maybe? Like, I don't know, if, if there's anything that you can tease us about for the stuff that is coming up that you were able to work on during your time at WotC? Well, the answer is yes, I can. <gasps> really? Of course I can. I'm all ears. Exclusive. I'm not gonna. <laughs> oh, well then. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> You got got, Joey. I got got. <laughs> that, that's the um, best have... dad joke we've had on the show. <laughs> uh, I have, yeah, I have, I have papers that that say I know how to keep a secret, and um, <laughs> and you know, at least if I revealed a magic secret, people wouldn't die. So that you know, that would be okay, I guess. But yeah, and, well, I, let me say this: there's nothing. I, yeah, I'm not going to give you any specifics, but you know how excited you are for Commander products in 2020. Indeed. Hang on to your hat. Okay, that's what I wanted to hear. Perfect. Oh, and 2021? Nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> nothing. So Suspense. So you say hang on to our hats. What are, what are you specifically most excited for? If you can give us, like, anything. What, what are you personally just jazzed for? You mean, you mean of the of stuff that we already oh, know is coming out in 2020? Yes, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was going to say, yeah, that I'll hopefully still be alive by the time Commander <laughs> Legends comes out. Well, That'd be great. Oh. <laughs> so Commander Legends is, is, is the the answer we were hoping for. <laughs> um, way to get there. <laughs> uh, of the things we've seen so far, well, we've only seen Theros. And we have, we've got Akoria, and we have Zendikar in the fall, plus Legends, and... More Commander Precons coming yeah. out associated yeah. with each of those sets. Commander Legends, also the uh, Commander, the green promo. Not quite promo. Um, but oh, the, uh, yeah, that. Oh, man, I almost forgot about that. <laughs> Woo! Man, you're going to need two hats because you're going to lose one of them. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the most Gavin response I think we've heard outside of Gavin. <laughs> uh, you know, I was on the phone with him like minutes ago, like, like, Right before we started, uh, he texted me. He's like, hey, you got a second? I'm like, yeah. He's like, nothing bad. I'm like, okay. You know, he's not calling to tell me, you know, something tragic happened to um, Mark Rosewater or something. And <laughs> um, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, he, yeah, we, we we discussed a very brief commander issue um, that I think will even ramp up the excitement even more. Nice tease. Awesome. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I can't. I really just. We we won't pry I mean, too I much more. That, then. I believe that you know I've been involved in magic since literally since the beginning. So I believe that these um, one million, how many ever years we've had together, um, that one thing I've I've earned is a sense of trust, and that I'm when I say something, it's it's generally true. Hang on to your hats. 
Excellent. You heard it here first. There's a rules change coming. That must be what this means, right? The commander dies triggers are working differently now. We can deduce it from here. We know what's happening. Uh, no, the, actually, the rules change is all hybrid mana will become white mana. <laughs> that, that might solve card? some problems. What's what's the what's the white card that makes everything celestial dawn? dawn? Yeah, yeah. Hybrid mana now becomes celestial dawn. Oh my goodness. Nice. So, so where do you think the format is going, or what do you think the future of Commander is, uh, you know, three, five years from now? Where do you think the game is heading? Well, you know, that's a, that's a question I have to keep asking myself today that I didn't think we were, you know, going back to the earlier question, that I never thought that I was going to have to ask, ask myself um, then. You know, we were just, ah, here we go. This is fun. Um, and interestingly enough, uh, I don't know if I'm revealing any secrets here uh, to your uh, to your fan base, but podcasts don't just happen. There are scripts and show notes uh, that that hosts put together, and it happened that when you wrote that question that I read, that it said, "What does the future of Commander look like?" And my brain went to a very specific place there. Um, the future of the command of uh, the future of commander looks very different than than it looks like today because the com the commander RC and the CAG what well, the commander RC looks a lot like I do and uh, I want the future of commander to look very different than I do um, there are enough we I think we have the privileged straight white dude uh, vote pretty much tied up. So let's, I want, I really want the future of Commander to look like the player base does. Um, it doesn't mean anything specific. That's just the sort of, you know, that's my, that's my dream for the future. And I think before you ever make anything happen, you got to dream it first. Uh, so that's, that's what I want the future of Commander to look like. Um, I want it to look like the people who play it. Um, Sheldon, I I don't I don't know. We didn't give you permission to punch us in the feelings, but you just did that. <laughs> uh, so I don't know how Sorry. to respond to that. That's well, I think I think the, the the keg has been a fantastic way to start making that move for sure. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, the 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 idea the idea that commanders a format for a lot of different people, um, just. I, it's it just occurred to me you know like six seven years ago i'm like are we doing this the right way and the answer was yes we were doing it the right way but were we involving all the people that we could involve and then when the answer was no i'm like you know what we I, let's let's think about this a little bit more let's um I, uh, like i said i i really want the i want the people that manage commander to be like the people who play it and we represent a small portion and I want us to represent a larger portion. And the keg, the keg was definitely a step in that direction. Now, um, I challenge you to, you know, somebody's going to say, Oh, well, you know, somebody was a diversity hire. I challenge you to find anybody on the keg that doesn't belong there. Mm -hmm. Uh, they are all extremely important people to magic right now. And it's because, you know, it's because they're important that they, they got onto the keg. Uh, but we looked further afield than just into our own 
our own societies and our own communities. You know, we looked to the we looked to the broader community, and that's that's really the way that I want tomorrow to to happen. Um, and I'm going to do everything that I can. I, I believe I, I believe it's the responsibility of leadership to replace itself. Um, I believe that it's it's the actual responsibility of leaders to render themselves as individuals irrelevant to the organization that they're leading. Uh, and I I think that that organizations that are that become cults of response of personality are doomed to fail. And I want to in five years or in ten years or in twenty years, I still want to play commander. I mean, somebody's going to be shuffling my deck for me because it's going to be really old. But. <laughs> that is a really great sentiment. And honestly, I think that that's exactly the note that we should close this show on. That is a bright future for EDH indeed. And I'm really excited for us to all walk into it together. But on that note, let's call this episode to a close. Sheldon, we cannot thank you enough for joining us here on the EDH RecCast. If folks want to find you, your content, where can they locate you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sheldon Mettering. You can find me on Facebook by my cryptic name, Sheldon Mennery. And uh, on Thursdays, you can find me writing about the best format in Magic's history on StarCityGames.com. Tune in, turn on, drop out, whatever the kids in the 60s did. <laughs> I'd also like to thank my co-host so much for joining me. And if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all? Matt? You can find me on the Twitters and on, St on Twitch uh, at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And Dana. You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach, and you can hear me on my other podcast a couple times a week, CMDR Central. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. You can find the cast at EDH RecCast on Facebook and Twitter. And if you have a question, a keen insight to EDH Rec's data, or maybe a challenge to stats pick that you think we should know about for an underplayed card that you really enjoy, you can contact us at EDHRecCast at gmail.com. And once again, to our episode 100 contest winners, please remember to reach out to us either on Twitter or via email so that we can get those prizes headed your way. Once again, our winners are Jenny the Fur, Louis Vargas, aka Sancho Curse, and Thomas B. Rex Blas. That's Brexosaurus93 on Twitter. Again, you can reach us at EDHRecCast or EDHRecCast at gmail.com. Oh, and before we go, one last thing. Something crazy new and really exciting is coming very, very soon to the podcast. Episode 100 was a huge milestone, but we've got something even better coming up in the future of not just EDHREC, but also the EDH rec cast. So keep your eyes peeled for us next week because things are about to get crazy. As Sheldon said, hold on to your hats. You may even need to. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Well, I don't speak with the almighty very often, but <laughs> I have it. I have it on good authority that you that you touch yourself and God is angry. <laughs> I don't know that I can use that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a real genius reference. <laughs> it is. Wow. Oh my goodness. Kent, oh, really? This is God. Yeah. <laughs> that was wonderful.